Please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, we've got a number of passages we're going to look at, but eventually we're going to land in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you, if you find that place in your Bible, uh, we, we will get there eventually. And while you're doing that, I want to draw attention to a couple of things that are coming up. Um, today, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, our reason behind our summer of community that we have coming up. And oh, by the way, that begins next week. Our summer of community begins next week, June 4th. Our service times are going to change. We've been talking about this for a while now, and we're going to throw it back out on Facebook this week. And uh, Sunday school is going to be at 9 o'clock throughout the summer. Sunday school at 9 o'clock, and service is at 10, all right? Combined service, we're all going to be together here for worship at 10 o'clock, okay? Um, If you are 11 o'clock folks, and you show up at 11 o'clock, you'll still be here in time for the food. So it won't be a total loss. We want to have you worship with us. So um, make notes, set reminders on your phone, put it in your day timer, write it on your calendar. 10 o'clock uh, is our worship service next week. And as you know, as we've been talking about, we want to encourage you to fellowship with one another, spend time with one another. And one of the ways we're going to do that is often throughout the summer, we're going to share a meal after, after service. And so next week, we're going to have a pizza buffet. Um, invite your friends, invite your family, invite your enemies. We're going to be here uh, right after the service, about 11, 15-ish, uh, we'll eat together. And I want to encourage you to be there for that. And then um, a couple other things, you'll see an announcement for the yard sale in your bulletin. Make sure you read through that. Uh, there's, there's a number of details in there and ways that you can be involved. And it's coming right up here in just a couple of weeks. So make sure that you get that on your calendar. If you can spare a few hours to come help organize, if you like lifting heavy stuff, or even if you don't like it but you're good at it, um, we could use your help. Uh, there's, there's things for everybody to do. Um, so if, if you can uh, lend a little bit of time... Um, uh, please do so. Uh, the, um, in the foyer, or I mean, I'm sorry, in the fellowship hall, maybe the last week or two, you've seen a table set up with a bunch of bags, a bunch of grocery bags. Um, we forgot to announce this last week, but um, a, a bunch of groceries were donated by the post office of all places. The post office, um, the postal workers collected groceries, bagged them up, and they, they donated them to us to hand out so if you could use some food, um, and last I checked, everybody needs it. So uh, if you could use some food, grab a bag of groceries on your way out. They've been sitting there now for a week or two. Um, I don't think there's any perishable items in there, so you won't be, smell anything funny. But um, grab a gr- bag of groceries if it could be a help to you. And then uh, I want to let you know a couple of things that are going to be out in the, in the foyer here that you can pick up. Um, as you know, we have a little table over there that has a number of uh, uh, pamphlets and brochures on ways that you can pray for our church, for our pastors, uh, our community, and our world. And one of the new things that we have out there is a prayer map, a world prayer map, to give you some ideas on how you can pray for the, the world. And so if you'd like to get a hold of that to help your, uh, give you some ideas on your prayer life, uh, please grab one of those. And then on the uh, Welcome Center out there, out there we have a, a, our latest copy of our newsletter. And so make sure you grab a, grab a copy of that as well. And then finally, two last things, two last things, I promise, and then we'll stop. Um, baptism is July 9th, and I know July might seem like a far, far off here, but we're not, we're not 
It's just around the corner. It's not far at all. So July 9th is our baptism service. And uh, this year, rather than do it in a Sunday evening, we're going to do it on Sunday right after a church. We're going to um, leave here, go over to the Kleinhardt's Pond and have a potluck meal together, and then, uh, and then we'll have baptism. If you are interested in being baptized or if you've got a child who you feel like is ready to be baptized, um, come chat with me. Make sure you give, call me at the office, uh, text me, zip me an email. I'd love to sit down and talk to you a little bit more about it. We'd love to just have a, uh, have a full pond of baptizees that day. So make sure you get a hold of me. And then on June 11th, coming up just a week from Sunday, two weeks from today, is our membership class from 4 to 7 p.m. on a Sunday evening. We've had a lot of you call into the office to to let us know you'll be there. If you haven't done that yet, make sure you get a hold of us so we can get your name on the list and that way we can account for food and all that. All right, I think that's all that we have by way of announcements. There are probably some more things in there that you've got to read, but that's all I'm going to mention for now. And uh, let's, let's just take a minute and pray one more time before we open up God's Word together. Heavenly Father, as we open up the pages of Scripture today to see how we can be the kind of community of believers that you want us to be, open up our eyes and open up our hearts and minds to, uh, to be receptive to your words. Help us to see how we can be a part of the body of Christ and how we can serve each other and then how we can... As, as a community of believers, impact the community around us for the sake of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is, Why Care About Community? We've got this whole summer we're calling the Summer of Community. We've, we've titled it, um, sectioned it off. We're changing our service times. We're going to eat a ton And I think it's important at the outset that we ask this question, why is this important? Why are we talking about the word community? What's the big deal? We know that there are things in Scripture that are a big deal. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, those are big deals. He said, those are the two greatest commandments. But what what about this idea of community? Is this, where does this even rank on God's priority list? Why is this important? I believe it is. And we're going to look at some scriptures that will help us understand it a little bit better. But before we get going, I think it's important to define what we mean by community. Uh, I simply would call community spiritual fellowship. Community in the church is spiritual fellowship. Now, I don't know about you, what you think about when you hear the word fellowship, but I grew up in church and so when I, I grew up in a church where when the word fellowship was used, that meant we were having a potluck that Sunday. We were going to eat. If it's time to fellowship, there was food involved. And, you know, I learned early on that a potluck, even just as a little child, this was caught, not taught, okay, uh, that there was strategy behind potluck dinners, all right, I, I learned early on, first of all, I learned that you, you couldn't be first in line. I, I remember trying that once. I remember it, we were sitting all in this, uh, this um, converted gym that was being used for this big meal, and all the folding tables were set out and the folding chairs, and I picked a, a table that was close to the food, right? I mean, that's strategy number one. But I remember sitting there, leaning forward in my seat while the pastor was praying, and as soon as I heard amen, I ran to the front of the line. I booked it, beat everybody there by a mile. And I remember as I was getting my plate, seeing my mom rushing me out of the corner of my eye. And when I regained consciousness, 
she explained that it was really bad manners to run to the front of the line, that you let other people go first. And so I learned early on that you, you had to, you know, be polite there. And, and uh, you know, you also learn kind of a strategy. You, you, you try to get there early to watch people dropping the dishes off because you know early on that you learn who the go-to cooks are in the church. The folks that really, really make a mean casserole or you know they're going to bring the money dish. And so you want to see them dropping it off because people don't always label. They don't always write their name on stuff. And you know that there are some folks that they were going to make some lousy things. And you don't want to inadvertently get in. You know, the people that are going to slip some extra vegetables into the casserole or whatever it was. So as a kid, you're watching, all right, when I know when this lady shows up, I need to know what dish is hers because I'm going to that one first. And then there's the whole strategy about, you know... The plates that you'd get were just, they were never big enough. Never big enough. And you're looking down this table, and I'm seeing, I want that and that and that and that. And I'm looking at this little dinky paper plate that's bigger, no bigger than a dessert plate. And my mom taught me, my mom had mastered the art of, of stacking food at a church potluck. And how she could stack food into a pyramid without it falling over and still keep it separate. It was, I was just like a work of art. And so I had to learn how to, but then you always have to watch the dessert table too. And make sure that doesn't get too... So you might be like only halfway through your plate, but you see that there's one piece of cherry pie left. And you have to like, all right, I'm going to let this get cold because that cherry pie is worth it. And it's just, there's so much strategy involved in potluck. So much. Somebody should write a playbook, put together a playbook, you know, so you don't have to figure these things out on your own. But when we're talking about spiritual fellowship, we're talking about something more than food. We're, we're going to eat a lot this summer, but... It's more than that. Fellowship in the Bible goes far deeper than just eating. The the, the Greek word that's often translated fellowship is koinonia. It's a very common word in the New Testament. And it's an important word because it involves the, the close association of mutual interests. It brings together partnership and sharing and involvement, giftedness, being connected, all centered around Jesus Christ. It's an important word when you read the New Testament, and it's something that was common and characteristic of the early church. Jerry Bridges says that biblical community is, first of all, the sharing of a common life in Christ. I like that. Biblical community is, first of all, sharing of a common life in Christ. It's more than a relationship. It's a partnership. He goes on to say, whereas relationship describes believers as a community, partnership describes them as a community in action. Biblical community then incorporates this idea of active partnership in the promotion of the gospel and the building up of believers. And that's what God calls us to be, a biblical community. So as we look at the scripture today, As you have your outline out, the first thing I want to look at is why biblical community is important. Why would we dedicate time this summer to consider the body of Christ and this idea of spiritual fellowship? Well, the first thing is is that God is a relational God. God is a relational God. It goes to the core of who He is. Back in A.D. 325, the early church developed this statement we call the Nicene Creed. It says this, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible 
and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus, the only begotten of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshipped and glorified. The Bible teaches that God is three in one. The Trinity is what we call it. This means that God himself is in community. Before time began, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all united in perfect unity, perfect harmony in community. It was this triune God who said in Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image. That means that we are crafted and formed in the, in the likeness of the triune God who loves and values community because it's intrinsic to who He is, we should value it as well. The second reason that community is important is because God has created us for relationships. God has created you and I for relationships. He said in Genesis 2.18, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. God formed and made all these amazing things in the world. I mean, he hung the stars in the sky and he made the land and the sea and the animals. And he created Adam, his crowning achievement. But he, 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 and after everything, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good, this is incredible. All that I have made is good. But the first time the phrase was uttered, eh, this is not good was when he pointed out that man was by himself. Now, this is a great passage to talk about marriage, but it goes even deeper than that to our innate need for other people. God created us to be part of community. God has created us for relationships. Another reason it's important is that Jesus prayed for our unity. Jesus prayed for our unity. I've discovered something, that if Jesus prays for something, it's probably pretty important because he's in tune with the Father. He's not off praying for the kinds of things that I might pray for, willy-nilly, wanting bigger, better things, stuff for myself, stuff to build my own little kingdom or whatever. There's no hint of selfishness in Jesus' prayers. His prayers are always perfect and good. And so when he prays for believers to be unified, you know that he's praying in accordance with the will of the Father. God wants us to be brought together in unity. That's why Jesus said, as he's praying to his Father, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus prayed for our unity. And finally, it's important because it was the pattern of the New Testament church. And we're going to look at more of that in the coming weeks. But we see early on in the church how they were desperately in need of one another and, and, and fed off of one another and sustained one another. Sometimes as you try to get a picture of, of what something is, it, it sometimes it's helpful to understand, first of all, what it's not. I want, want to just share with you a couple of things that biblical community is not. First of which is it's not just simply going to church. It's not simply going to church. Listen, you'll never hear me. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm never going to say, don't come to church. All right? I, we want you here. Uh, God wants you here. It is important to be here. It is important to attend church. But 
You and I both know that you can walk in and out of this door, these doors every Sunday and not be connected. You could be involved in the worst kinds of sin, addicted to this or that, living your own life, maybe not even be a Christian and, and not have a, a community, not have a relationship with people who can encourage you, strengthen you, uh, rebuke you, and challenge you. You can attend church but not be part of the church community. Being in community, being in spiritual fellowship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord is more than simply attending church. It, it, it starts there, obviously. You've got you to show up, but it's so much more. Biblical community is also not simply having friends with shared interest. Friends with shared interest. You know, we naturally gravitate towards the types of people that that we share um, maybe hobbies and interests. Maybe we're in the same life stage. Our kids are at the same age level. We, we laugh at the same things. We, we like the same sports. That's, that's only natural that you build relationships with people who share some of the common interests. But if our community is only centered around people who are the same as us, we're not going to look the way that God intended for us to look. One of the most beautiful passages in Scripture is in Revelation chapter 5, and it gives us a snapshot of what it's going to look like in heaven as we gather around the, the throne of the Lamb. And John tells us that people from every tribe and tongue and nation are gathered together singing the praises of Jesus. They're not people who are just alike. They're people from different cultural backgrounds. They speak different languages. They have different personalities. They're not the same. God calls us as we're into community to love one another, to welcome one another. And just because someone's not the same as you doesn't mean that we shouldn't be in community with them. In fact, it would look more like the body of Christ if they weren't just like you and me. The great thing about the way God has done this is that He saves us. He, he saves you as an individual with all your uniqueness and quirks and hobbies and interesting personality traits. He doesn't require you to be a cookie cutter, to be the same as me. That's the great thing about the body of Christ, unity out of diversity. And then finally... Community is not simply hanging out. <laughs> it's not simply hanging out. You know, you can, and, and I'll be the first one to admit I've done this, where you, know, you, you can spend hours with, with a, another Christian person and talk about everything but Jesus. You can talk about the sports, uh, how terrible the Tigers' bullpen is. You, you can talk about hunting and fishing and how much you enjoy the outdoors. You can talk about maybe uh, shared experiences, your kids and what they're going through and what they're learning in school or not learning or whatever. None of those things are bad. None of those things are sinful to have a conversation about. But if all we ever do as believers is get together and talk about the weather, that's not spiritual fellowship. As we're going to see, God calls us to enter into each other's lives and to build up one another and encourage one another in the Lord and in our faith. Not just have conversations, not just hang out. 
As we think about this idea of biblical community, there are five things I wrote down that show us kind of what biblical community looks like. There's probably more that we could add to this list. The first of, first of which is love. Biblical community involves love. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, By this we know love, verses 16 through 18, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. I realize when I hear a sermon, I don't remember everything from that sermon. And I'm sure the same is it's the same for you. If you can grab onto nothing else, just I want you to go back to this verse and chew on it this week. You hear what John is saying? He says, I want to show you how we know love. There's a way that we can know love. It's that he laid down his life for us. The Bible tells us that we wouldn't know real love if it wasn't for God. We've got our culture's definition of love. I can flip on a, a chick flick and you can get an idea of what our culture thinks about love, but it doesn't line up with God's idea of love. He says, he says I want to show you, I want to talk to you about love. Here's what it is. It's Jesus died for you. You were a sinner, an enemy of God who wanted nothing to do with him, and yet in his love, in the midst of that, he says, I'm going to die for those sins. That's how we know what love is. But then look what he says. I kind of wish this wasn't in here, but it is. He says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. God calls us to follow in Jesus' footsteps, and he says, I want there to be love in your midst. And here's how you're going to know what it looks like. Remember Jesus' love? That's what I want you to show one another. The kind of love that involves sacrifice. The kind of love that involves laying your life down. You know, there are some of us in this room who would maybe take a bullet for somebody in our lives. Someone that you care about deeply. Hopefully you're thinking of your spouse right now. If you've got one. I would die for you. You know, it's easy to think about extreme acts of love for someone you care about deeply, who you get along with very, very well. There's people in your life whom if they were stuck in the the road and a vehicle was bearing down, you'd run out and push them out of the way. But, But there are some people in your life that you'd probably push them in front of the vehicle, right? You'd be tempted to. There are people in our lives who aren't so easy to love. Who, who we don't necessarily get along with. And John is saying, listen, those are the people that, whether they're easy to get along with or super hard to get along with, those are the people that we need to lay our lives down for. He says, if, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you look at a need that someone has in, your, in, in their life and, and you just walk away, he says, that, that's, there's no love there. There's no love in your heart. You're, you're holding it up. James told us the same thing, didn't he? If someone shows up on your doorstep and 
You see them in need, they're hungry, they're thirsty. And you say, well, I hope you have a good day, find a bite to eat, and you slam the door on them. He says, there's no, there's no faith in you, your works don't show it. Biblical community is going to look like believers loving other believers. He says at the end there, verse 18, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed or in truth. I was never a great athlete ever. I've always liked sports, but I've never been a great athlete. I could, I could talk a good game. I could talk to you about the game of baseball. And I could give you the impression, if you'd never seen me play, that I was really, really good at it. But when it came time to the deed part, I was all right with the word and the talk part, but when it came time to deed and truth, the proof was in the pudding. This guy couldn't hit the ball out of the infield. And God says, you can talk all you want about love, but the proof is in your actions, and your actions show it. Biblical community is going to involve love. It's also going to involve worship. It's also going to involve worship. This is where we've got to be certain that, that our conversations, our interactions, that they involve God. Like, it is possible to spend lots of time around Christians and God not to come up. And, and that's not biblical community. That's not biblical fellowship. It's all right to have a good time. It's all right to joke. It's okay to talk about how bad the tigers are. That's fine. But if you never get around to God, if you never get around to talking about what He's doing in your life or things you might be struggling with or if you don't pray with them, there's a problem there. The early church spent its time engaging in celebration of the Lord and remembrance of the gospel through the means of grace which were provided. We therefore find it essential for biblical community to be about the pursuit of God through the Lord's Supper, through prayer, through singing, the reading and teaching of scriptures. Biblical community involves worship. Biblical community also involves service. Biblical community also involves service. This is where 1 Corinthians chapter 12 comes in. This whole passage is about the body of Christ. And Paul likens a church family to, to a body having many different body parts. And uh, he says in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Well, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose. You hear what God's saying there? He's telling us a few different things. First of all, He says each, each member of the body is important to the whole function of the body. There's no part of the body that's unessential. You know, you know what it's like if, if something in your body is not working right or if you have an ache or a pain in somewhere. It affects your whole body. It might keep you awake at night. I mean, I was reading about a, a pitcher from the Blue Jays who's on the disabled list because he, he split his nail on his pitching, pitching hand. And he's not able to pitch right now until they can get that nail uh, figured out. Now, you think, I mean, your fingernail when put in proportion to the rest of your body, is extremely small. What is that, a square inch maybe? 
And, and yet, it's affecting this whole guy's ability to pitch and to pitch successfully for his team, all because of a square inch on one finger. And you think, that's, that's so small, it's unessential. Why, what's the big deal? How could God's saying, listen, even, even the smallest, seemingly the smallest part of the body is so important. And maybe you're out there thinking, you know what, I come to church, I come in and out, but I, I don't really get connected because I don't think I have much to offer. I can't get up in front of people and speak and, you know, I, I, I don't know how to make good casserole dishes for the potluck or whatever it is. I, I don't know if I could, there's much I could do. I mean, how can I be used by God? And it says here that God has arranged, verse 18 it says, God has arranged the members in the way that he wanted them. So here's what that means. It's telling us that God has strategically put you into the body of Christ because you are an important part of the body of Christ. I don't want to hear any more excuses. You have gifts and abilities that nobody else in this room has. God has arranged. God has, it's, a, it's a word of strategy, uh, like playing chess. He has, he has is, is, is put us and arranged us in such a way so that you can be used and minister to the entire body of Christ for the blessing of those around you and for the glory of God. There's a lot more we could say about 1 Corinthians 12. But the fourth reason that we believe, that, or the, the, the fourth reason, the fourth component really of biblical community is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Look at... Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, there's a verse here. It says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, there's a lot we could say about this verse, what each of those phrases means, what it means to admonish the idle or encourage the faint-hearted, etc. But what I want to do is just simply say that these, verse, these commands, which are for you and I, they imply something. So Paul, under the inspiration of God, wrote these commands to us. He says, I want you doing these things, Christians. But all of them imply that we have a relationship with these people. For example, the faint-hearted person. God has commanded me to encourage the faint-hearted. Well, what, is, what does that imply? That it means that I actually know the person. So when they come into church and I say, hey, how you doing? And they, they lie to me and they say, hey, I'm fine, great, thanks. But here's the thing, I know them. I've, I have a relationship with them and I know that they've been struggling. I know that they've been just overwhelmed with life and they just, they just feel like quitting everything right now. They're just tired and worn out like we all get sometimes. And so when I greet them at church, I'm not going to let them simply get away with blow, brushing me off because I have a relationship with them. I say, how you doing? They're like, I'm fine. Now, how you really doing? The tears start to well up in their eyes. So I'm barely hanging on, man. And then, then you can say, you know what? There's nobody in the prayer room right now. Let's, let's just come alongside here. In fact, there's a, there's a couple of scriptures I've been thinking about this week I wanted to share with you. I'm so glad that I saw you. Let's just pray together. I want to read these verses. I want to encourage you. But all that presupposes that you have a relationship, that you've spent some time with that person. I mean, how well do you receive it as a parent? 
if a stranger walks up to you at the grocery store when your kid's throwing a temper tantrum and proceeds to explain how you could be a better parent, if that child were disciplined once in a while, have you ever heard the word no, etc., etc., etc.? You don't know this person from Adam. And here they are in supposing to know what's best for you and your child and exhorting you. For the most part, we're going to bristle at that. You may not say it, but you're thinking, bug off. I don't want to hear it. But let's suppose you've got a relationship with another Christian who you know loves you, who you know cares about you, who wants what's best for you. And he comes up and he puts his arm around you and says, Jeremiah, I realize that's not your name, but it's mine. He says, Jeremiah, I've been watching how you speak to your son lately and I, I noticed you're, you've, you've made some just little subtle, sarcastic comments. I watch his face when you do it and it just, his countenance drops and shoulder sags. I don't even know if you realized you're doing it, but... I just I want you to be the kind of dad God wants you to be, and I think that you need to pay attention to the way that you speak to your son. Now, because of my pride, I might initially be like, mm. but you know what? I know he cares about me. I know he loves me. I know he wants me to be the kind of dad that God wants me to be. So I'm going to be much more apt, Lord willing, to receive those words of exhortation and rebuke because there's a relationship there presupposes you, these, this verse here presupposes that you know the person well enough to know what's really going on in, your, in their life. It presupposes that you're pursuing your relationship with Christ to the degree that you can actually speak into their life. It doesn't mean you've got it all figured out, that you've got all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, and that you're the perfect Christian, and you have memorized countless books of the Bible, and that you, um, you, you, you've understand it. You've got a PhD in Greek and Hebrew exegesis. It's not saying that at all. It just presupposes that you're learning and growing and you want to be like Jesus and God is teaching you and you want to share and help and come alongside of and encourage and bless others. But the reason I put that under sacrifice, the reason I put that under sacrifice is because all this takes time. When you choose to be part of God's community, using your gifts, blessing other people, exhorting and helping and discipling, all that stuff takes time. It involves sacrifice. Biblical community means me setting aside my selfish, self-centered, building of my own kingdom behavior and look to see how I can minister to other people. Finally, Biblical community involves authenticity. Authenticity. Being real. Being real. Some of us are scared to death to take the mask off, to be real. They, they might find out what I'm like, what I'm really like, that I struggle. That I have sin. <gasps> Wait, you have sin? You, you do wrong things? I hate to break it to you, but it's no secret. You may think you're keeping it a secret, but you're not. The, the Bible tells us very clearly in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. 
If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say you're not a sinner, you're a liar. According to 1 John 1.8, we're all sinners. And so here's the deal. We can be real knowing that we're all messed up people in need of the grace of God. Isn't that freeing? You don't have to pretend that you're something you're not. We're sinners desperately in need of God's grace and forgiveness every single day. Stop pretending like you're not. James tells us in James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. Confess your sins together. One of my hopes is that as we grow together in this idea of biblical community, you'll develop and build some relationships where you can be real. You can be yourself. I realize you can't do that with everybody, okay? You're not just going to walk up to the first person you see in church and tell them every single thing that's going on in your heart and life. It does take relationship. It takes trust. I get that. But the goal is to be working towards that, building that. It may only be a couple of people in your life, but God desires for us to have authenticity. I love what Rick Warren said. He says, authenticity is the exact opposite of what you find in many of our churches. Instead of an atmosphere of honesty and humility, there's pretending and role-playing and politicking, superficial politeness and shallow conversation. People wear masks keep their guard up, and act as if everything's rosy in their life. These attitudes are the death of real friendship. God calls us into community, into fellowship with one another. This is not a peripheral issue. This is a spiritual necessity. For the sake of our spiritual life and growth and sanctification, it needs to become a priority To each of us. One writer said, Community is the laboratory in which we learn to rely on God's grace and experience the gospel's transforming power. This summer, as we go about our summer of community, I have to confess, I have to admit that there's nothing that we're going to do that will magically create that spiritual fellowship. Because you can come after the service, and I hope you do, to have a meal with us. You can, and you will, all be in one big room and one big service and sit next to a stranger and maybe learn their name for the first time, but that that doesn't automatically create community. But what we're hoping to do with some of these things is to be a little bit like when... uh, my four-year-old learning to play baseball, and we get out the tee, and we set the tee, and we put the baseball on top of that and give him the bat and get far away, that tee is not going to hit the ball for him. He's still got to do it himself. But it puts the ball into the right perfect position, right at waist height, so that he can have a better chance of making contact. We're doing some of these things this summer so that we can kind of tee up this idea of community for you and give you some opportunities to build some new relationships 
to share some meals together with people that maybe you've never had a meal together with. And as we study God's Word together, I hope that we'll bring all these things together so that we'll, we'll have a new, profound value to place on the idea of spiritual fellowship. I want you to know this morning, God doesn't want you and I to go at this Christian life thing on our own. We need one another. And you have something to offer the person next to you. Let's choose to be a blessing. Let's choose biblical community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you have so wisely brought together the body of Christ. There's nothing else like it on the world, in the world, people from different backgrounds and walks of life and economic backgrounds. Some of us grew up in a church. Some of us, this may be the first time we've darkened the doors of a church. And yet, you save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and create this beautiful thing, the church. Help us to see how we're all part of the body, how we're all gifted and tooled in unique ways so that we can minister to one another. God, if there's people here who do not have deep relationships where they can speak into people's lives and others can speak into their lives, God, over the next weeks and months, would you build that? I think especially of the men in our church. This is a thing that we men often are uncomfortable with. Let us see a vision for what it looks like to be able to take the mask off, to be real, and to minister to one another in loving sacrifice. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great week.